Hello and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. Hold me in your arms. Don't let me go. I want to stay forever. Closer each day to home and away. We're back. We're singing, but we're singing for a good reason. As the Australian soapy uh, theme song will tell you, we're finally getting home and away. In case you've forgotten, my name is Marissa Lordanik, and today I'm joined for a very special episode by Angela Christian Wilkes and Sam Lewis. It's a big, momentous, historic day in the A-League women's, but before we get into that very exciting piece of news, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So we finally have home and away. We will finally have a full home and away season in the A-League women's, and it's wild to say it after literal years of wanting this to be a thing. So from the next season, we will have 11 teams with Western United confirmed as entering, and that will bring us up to 20 rounds, not a full home and away, but a lot more than the 14 we've been getting of late. And then 23-24 season, Central Coast Mariners should be joining the A-League Women's and we will be bumped up to 22 rounds, which is a full home and away season. There's so many positives about this piece of news. We have a way longer season. All of a sudden, football in this country is a lot more than a few months, something you do during the year. I think Kate Gill described it on Optus as the W League was like Christmas. You took the tree out for a couple of months and then you put it away. We're not Christmas anymore, baby. We're the Christmas lights that you forget to take down, you know, until April. So we're still not a full year thing, but we are a full home and away thing. And it's so, so, so exciting. We're not going to dissect this news amongst ourselves because it's basically just screaming and excitement. What we are going to do is have a chat to a very special guest. So let's crack into that chat right now. So it's a very exciting episode today and we're actually really, really super delighted to have a special guest joining us today. You will know him from Twitter because he's answering every single person's question that has ever been asked ever in the history of Twitter. He is the CEO of the APL. He is Danny Townsend. Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. It just is a sad reflection of my life that I'm on Twitter answering random questions, but hey. We all all do it as well. Yours is just a little bit more important than ours. I wouldn't say that, Marissa. I wouldn't say that. We've got you on for a reason. It's a very exciting reason. We've got a much bigger, better A-League women's coming towards us. So there's lots of questions, lots of excitement. I think the first one, though, is why now? Why has this been the time for something that we've all really wanted for ages to finally come to fruition? Yeah, I think it's it, we, we've all wanted the same thing for a long time. Like none of what we're doing here is rocket science. It's it's been a clear ambition of APL since unbundling from here that we needed to invest in the game. And what better time to do it with a you know a FIFA Women's World Cup on our doorstep? So, um, like I said, I don't, I don't think any of this what we're doing here is anything out of the box. It's certainly 
um, been, um, been needed for a long time. And um, sometimes it's easier to say than it is to do. And in this case, um, you know, getting to, to full home and away and expanding to, to more teams is something that we're really proud of. And I think it's going to have a huge um, impact on women's football for a long time to come. So, Danny, this is, a, I suppose, a two-year short to medium-term roadmap, but what's the sort of longer-term vision that the APL has for this league? Yeah, look, we want it to be the best women's sporting league of any type in Australia. We want it to be a, a, a top 10 women's football league around the world. Um, we believe it is that currently, and it, and it uh, needs investment in order to keep it at the, at the level it is. Um, you know, the other sports in Australia are investing in women's football, which we're women's sport, which is fantastic. And um, we need to keep pace and stay ahead of those. We need to continue to invest and that's what we're doing. So look, it's, and it's not just at the elite level that we need to, to invest. It's also at the, the grassroots and the academy systems across APL clubs need attention. And, and a lot of the clubs are leaning in on that space at the moment. And that all goes well for, for the future of women's football in Australia. Awesome. I'm, I'm really curious. So what were the big ticket items that you needed to tick off to make the full home and away happen, like logistically? Because obviously it's easy to say on paper, but I'm sure there's so many moving parts that potentially a lot of us are not privy to. Yeah, look, I think there's a bunch of things. Yeah, financial was the first. You know, it's expensive. Um, every time you add a, a team and you add weeks to the season cost more money um and and that's something that we're obviously cognizant of as we separated from the fa and, and where we allocated our funds was was obviously important particularly given the COVID impact um financially not just on the league itself but on, on the clubs within the league so yeah the financial constraints that we're working in were, was the first stepping off point but then you think about your yeah, players and how they orientate with other leagues um we want to make sure the players are able to to advance themselves, whether that be going abroad and playing in, in leagues that have complementary windows to ours or, or even playing in the NPL. You know, I think it's important that we also maintain the pyramid and, and keep it as strong as we can as well. So working in with the, the FA, the domestic match calendar for, for women's football as a whole was also something that required a fair bit of work. I think investment's always kind of been the big sticking point. So basically just remixing my first question, what's changed that now it is feasible, plausible, able to be done in a particularly financial sense? Yeah, look, as it was well documented, we were able to raise capital at the back end of last year, um, taking on Silver Lake as a as a partner in the game. And, and that ingestion of capital was always designed to be deployed into things that will deliver growth. Um, and there's different types of initiatives that you'll see from APL over the next couple of months as we roll them out. Some of those are are going to have a direct impact on the financial framework of the game now, and others are going to be investments that will take um, take a lot longer to materialise uh, the financial return. And I think in this case, you know, the, the women's game is, although it's third, I think going into our fourteenth season, you know, we're very lucky that we have got a a league that is a sport that is gender agnostic, and and to be able to to leverage the amazing participation base we've got that's growing um, for young females and, and invest ahead of that um, is important. And, and you know, our, our board and our partners were all in agreement was the time um, with the, you know, with the Women's World Cup looming, it is going to be enormous for sport in Australia. I, I still think everyone is underestimating the impact it's going to have on sport, let alone women's sport, let alone women's football and football in general. So, you know, we've got a really unique little window here. We've got a, we've got a, a Men's World Cup that 
thankfully, um, we, we're participating in, in in November. And then right in the back of that, we're hosting um, you know, the FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. So you know, now is the time for, for, for our code to really reap the benefits of, of what the national teams are doing. And speaking of participants and fans, I think there are a lot of people within women's football who... Uh, we're a little bit hesitant about the rebranding of the APL in terms of getting rid of the W League name that so many of us knew and loved um, and replacing it with A-Leagues. Um, one of the pillars, I suppose, of this new strategy is better and more bespoke engagement with women's football fans. Can you give us some insight into what the APL has learned over the past year about what makes fans of women's football different and how you intend to cater to that? Yeah, it's a really good point, and it's one that we've we've thought a lot about. I, I think when you look at how you grow engagement in a league, um, you, you've got your you sort of your your rusted on fans that are there across both men's and women's. They're just football fans, whether it's male or female football, they'll watch any football. But then you've got another pocket of fans that are uniquely engaged in the women's game. And, and we've got to grow both of those. So the strategies we've got around, let's call it conversion of more traditional A-Legs club fans into supporting both their men's and women's competitions is about delivering them a product that they'll want to watch and, and a reason for watching it. The club championship was a real key pillar to trying to get conversion happening. Um, but the one I think that requires a lot more work and a lot more thinking is, is how we really engage a female football fan. You know, I, I think over the years, it's probably been, I wouldn't say convenient or lazy, it's just the way it's manifested itself is that the women's product has been surfaced in the same format as the men's. And the way it's delivered to, to fans is, is pretty much identical. And, and maybe that was a bit for equality reasons. We thought, let's do it the same because if we do it for the men one way, we should do it for the women another. I'm not necessarily sure that's the answer. And and like I said to you before, as a as a father of two females with a, a wife and a female dog, I can, can assure you that, um, that females engage differently in things to me. Um, and, and I think we've got to think about how we surface the A-League women in a way that's going to engage that wealth of young Australian females that play the game on weekends or, and, and um, enjoy it with their friends. How, how do we get them connected to the A-League women? And, and that's certainly a key focus of ours going into this, this new season. I guess just going off what I've read previously about women's football fans, it makes sense that a, a large number, in fact, the majority are actually men as well. So trying to lean into that and create that more equitable space is really important. But I'm just going off that. Is there any um, intention or, or plans around A-League men's as well in creating that um, kind of as an option for fans, like women's fans to engage with? Yeah, look, I think across the board, you, know, I, I, you, get a, you can look at fans in general and, and obviously we need to attract more of them. For me, it's more about engagement. You know, saying I'm a football fan is one thing, but actually engaging with our football, whether you're male or female, is really where we've got to focus. We, we just naturally through the, the pandemic have had a disengagement across the board. You know, whether that be in attendance because they couldn't get there because of, of, of COVID restrictions or COVID itself, the certainty of fixturing has been a real challenge for us. So that naturally leads to disengagement. And when, you, when you're not being able to get your rusted on core fans going to watch their football in stadia or watch it on television because they don't know when it's on, 
naturally, you know, that's a real focus for us to, to re-engage our core. So, you know, the strategy that we're, we're, we're actually have a board meeting today that we're work, walking our board through is really how do we focus on two core areas? One is re-engaging our core and then growing the new. Um, and they're very different strategies because the core want things different to what our, our new fans want. And, and we've set ourselves up with Keep Up as a platform really focused on the new customers and, you know, our core um, assets focused on re-engaging um, yeah, the fans have been with us for 16 years. Just to follow up on, on fan engagement, Danny, can you give us sort of any, I guess, more concrete examples to the extent that you can about what new engagement with fans actually looks like? Because we have seen in the past that the A-Leaks has tried to do, you know, Star Wars rounds and all sorts of things that didn't necessarily work very well. What are some of the newer ideas that the APL has in this respect? Yeah, I wouldn't say that we're coming at this from a marketing angle. I think it's more about structuring our engagement with fans in a different way and the investment we've made in our data infrastructure and our digital infrastructure that is at a nascent stage. You know, we we built in a very quick um, six-month run, which normally these things are multi-year year builds. Um, but what that's designed to do is, is to, to enable us to get to know our fans and serve them content that we know they like. Um, and that's both through our own platforms in Keep Up and our club club digital infrastructure, but also through our socials and how we use the various different brands that we have um, to, to, to connect more with those fans. So, you know, I think without the traditional media um, platforms that you know, we may have had in the past, you know, the, the great thing about Network 10 is their, their focus on football, but they don't have mastheads like News Corp or like, or like Nine Fairfax that you can rely on to support your games. So you've got to create... That, those opportunities to connect. And, and that's why Keep Up and what Rich Bayless is building in Keep Up Studios is, re- is going to be really important to, to engaging our fans. Um, you know, the, we, we know that there is a sort of content data flywheel that we're investing in that is going to lead to, to more interaction with our fans once we understand them better, ensuring we serve them in a way that keeps them coming back. And, and I think that's something that's been missing. Uh, we identified that, you know, 18 months ago when we went down this path. Um, it's early days, but you'll see that's really where I see a step changing the way we, we connect with our, our fans moving forward, rather than the Star Wars round, which is possibly a yeah one that may, may never happen again, let's say. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> can we get something in the dub that delivers the ball to the players a la the little Isuzu Ute? I think it would be just, I don't know what, I don't know if Liberty offers something that can transport a ball, but if we can yeah, get good, them on the blower. Maybe that's something for your podcast listeners to come up with, a, uh, an idea that we can roll out for the, for the A-League women. I don't know why, but just based on our last episode, my brain said a French horn. That'll, that'll work okay, really well, that, well. That intrigues me, a French horn. But... <laughs> we won't get into that. We'll get into some other stuff, but French horn, let's make it happen. Um, my question was obviously... Fans of women's football are generally speaking fans of women's sport and you kind of can't separate women's football from the wider women's sport movement that's happening at the moment. It's a real boom time and we know that, you know, the AFLW is expanding to the full complement of 18 men's teams. NRLW is expanding as well. There's so much going on. So I'm curious, is it or did the APL kind of have a sense of we need to do something because everyone else is doing something. Was there an element of we need to stay in touch with the other codes that are, are doing things in Australia? I don't think so, no. But it's a good thing they are. 
because it does it does ensure that everyone in sport is thinking about delivering equality across both you know the men's and the women's competitions of whichever sport they're in so that's a great thing um i think ours was more around taking advantage of the women's world cup um and knowing that we have got this huge um participation base that is growing of young female footballers and and investing ahead of that that cohort of young kids who are going to grow up to want to play in the best professional competition they can i want them choosing football at age five and six and and if we're delivering a aspirational league for a young female then that there are much greater chance of picking fit football over our competitive sports yeah first and foremost you know again you, you want females picking sport full stop right you want them playing as much sport as they can but you know we are in a competitive environment for for talent and Certainly, if you look at the Matildas and the national teams, which is a, you know, we take our obligation to delivering talented footballers into national teams seriously. Um, you know, having a framework for, for females to come through the development pathway and into an elite competition, um, yeah, is the time for that is now. And that's why we've, we've gone and, and invested like we have. And um, we're really excited by it. We think that, you know, it, it, it's, it certainly is a movement out there, and, and that's that's wonderful. But I think ours was not about trying to keep up or stay ahead. It was about doing what's right for the game. National teams is a good kind of segue, I think. Um, Danny, you probably saw the result. The Matildas lost 7-0 against Spain. A lot of those players came from the A-League women's, including many from Sydney FC, the club that you used to run. Uh, it's We're reaching, I think, a bit of a fault line in terms of Australia are reckoning with their lack of development pathways, the lack of investment in the women's game to the point where our national teams are now starting to struggle, particularly across the Matildas and now also the Socceroos. Yeah. Is, uh, is the APL sort of cognizant of how important it is to cooperate with Football Australia and also with member federations in terms of this larger project of developing footballers for national teams or is there still a sense that the APL and the A-Leagues is its own sort of little bubble that you do your thing and then hopefully produce players who can sort of go out and do whatever they want out of that or is there actual strategy to work with the federation in order to achieve a, a shared goal? Oh no, 100%. We, we've got to work together. You know, the, the football pyramid is the responsibility of everyone that's involved in it, whether that be a member fed, whether it be a grassroots associational club all the way through to the national teams. Um, how how we operate in, in our individual environments is important for our own businesses, but how we work together to contribute to the ultimate goal, which is is um, generating great talented athletes that represent our country is, is something that is right at the top of the list for us. Um, you know, the investment we make in, in our, at the moment, in our, our male players through our academy systems, it, it isn't going to pay back. It, it, the reality is it's not going to pay back, but we do it because it's our responsibility in the, in the football pyramid to, to drive elite pathways for, for young footballers. We need to do that for the women as well. And at the moment, young girls coming up through the ranks don't have that same opportunity as, as young boys. And, and that's certainly something that, that APL need to rectify and are. And you've seen that Sydney FC have made statements around uh, their female academy, as have the Wanderers, and, and we're already doing it like Newcastle. So I think you'll see, you know, looking after the elite level, A-League women is important, but equally contributing to the development pathway is something that that absolutely we, we take seriously and, and do work and, and will work in, in unison with the FA and the member feds to get that structure right. 
is an equivalent to, um, yeah, the Youth League for Women's is that big blue sky thinking probably at this point, but has that been a conversation at any point for a, the end goal, I suppose, to support the A-League women? Yeah, absolutely. In my mind anyway, um, you know, I've always maintained that, you know, when, when we relaunch the A-League youth, um, it's not A-League youth men. It's got to be A-League youth and there has to be a roadmap for how we, we roll out that youth um, competition for male and female players. But that starts with academies. You know, the only way we run A-League youth for, for the male players is because we've had eight years of investment into academy systems where we are now starting to see players playing in the A-League who have been in A-League systems since they were 12 years old. Right. So we, we can't say that for, for our female players. You know, they, they come in and play you know, 14 weeks, 16 weeks, 20 weeks at an A-League women's setup and then go back or up, depending on their capability. Um, we need them in our systems for longer. Uh, but in order to do that, you need to build the infrastructure around them um, to ensure that, that that pathway is really clear for them um, and that that um, you know, a 12-year-old female has the opportunity to play for Melbourne Victory or for, for Brisbane Raw. I'm glad you mentioned the kind of, at the moment, women have a 14, 16, however many weeks it is, situation in front of them in terms of A-League women's football. And I think a lot of people obviously will be super excited about the full home and away, but should fans then equate that with these players being full-time professionals or are we still kind of working towards the, I think the ultimate goal of these players being 12 month year round footballers in the A-League women's. Yeah, I think that's certainly got to be the goal, right? And I, but I think that's a, that is a bit of a way just commercially. It's just, it's very difficult to be able to do that. And having them also orientate to other leagues that they want to play in is, is also important. Managing the domestic calendar and international calendar for that matter is, is a real challenge because you sort of, in a way, you're committed, but you're not. And, and to really make it work, you just got to be all in on one in one league. And you know, we can do at the moment. We're doing that with the men, and they, you know, those players are employed 52 weeks of the year, and they have their four or five weeks off in the off season. They get back into the preseason. That's not the case um, with the females, and, and that has to be the north star that we need to shoot for. Um, and, and the first step really is getting to a point where you're playing enough weeks. And in this case, if you're getting out to, to yeah, the 20-week season, 22-week seasons, plus if you add on pre-season, post-season, you're starting to talk about 30-odd weeks of, of employment. You need to get that out towards 40 um, through whether that's the Australia Cup and how that, that comes into play. Um, yeah, those things need to be managed. And going back to your point earlier around working with the FA and the rest of the pyramid, we're going to do it together. Yeah, there's no point us going off and doing our own thing and just disregarding Everyone else, um, that would be selfish and that, you know, that's not what we're about. So um, working together with the member feds to ensure the NPL is protected, making sure that the female athletes are given the best opportunity to be the best version of themselves, whether that be with an A-League club for 52 weeks a year or 40 or 30, that's what we've got to work through over time. And on that point, one of the things that I've noticed as part of this strategy is that the A-League women will be pausing for international breaks for the first time, I think, ever in its history. What was the thinking behind that and how is the APL going to utilise those windows? It's, a, it's interesting. One. I, I didn't know that it never stopped before, but I, I thought recent years we've had challenges, obviously, with COVID where we had to get fixtures played in windows that, that you would otherwise prefer to pause for. And, you know, it goes back to your point around responsibility. I think national teams... 
are sacrosanct. You know, that is that is the ultimate goal for any Australian aspiring footballer should be to wear the green and gold. And 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 it therefore should be given the clear air where the game pauses and stops and supports the Matildas or the Socceroos in whichever game they're playing. So um, you know, I think the the philosophy has always been we should be respecting those windows and and what we do around those windows to provide content, particularly if they're playing abroad. You know, I think if they're playing domestically, then you can probably pause and do nothing and let everyone focus on the domestic game because it's in a, a time zone that's friendly and, and you can attend matches. Whereas if they're playing, you know, a, a European team at four in the morning, then maybe we need to think about what we what content we're de- delivering or events we're delivering in that window that are going to be complementary to the viewing experience, but the focus should be on the national teams. You've mentioned a few times the World Cup and making the most of that and leveraging um, that. I, I'm just interested, What will the APL have a presence at the World Cup in terms of this synergy? Will you be able to promote um, the A-Leagues during it? I'm, I'm not too sure what the logistics are around that, but I understand like in terms of having that legacy framework um, and to have that lasting effect, I imagine that would be a big thing on the table. Um, and something that may have not been done successfully before, I don't think, at a Women's World Cup as of yet. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, we, we've looked back over how leagues have, have managed the, the post-World Cup opportunity. Um, we looked at the US and what happened after that World Cup and, and obviously the last one in France. How we how this, you know, I think that's where the collaboration with EFA really, really comes into play. You know, they are an, you know, they're a shareholder of the league. They are the regulator of the game. They are the, you know, ultimately the ones that um, are controlling the World Cup experience for for the nation. And and I think, you know, how how we're able to leverage that for the A-League women is is probably a responsibility that we need to take on together. Uh, Because a legacy, if it is a true legacy, it's about improving the, the opportunity for young aspiring female footballers post the World Cup because like any tournament like this, whether it's a tennis tournament in the summer, the Australian Open, more kids pick up a tennis racket after the Australian Open. You know, how do we get more kids wanting to wear the green and gold of the Matildas and play in the, the A-League women for, for one of the clubs? That That is going to be a really important piece of work that, that needs to be happening. And, and I think there hasn't probably been enough dialogue at the moment around how we work together to ensure that the league comes out the other side a much better league for what will be an amazing three weeks, I think it is, for for, um, for our country. Just bringing it back to the, the A-League women's, obviously it kind of ties into, you know, the, the World Cup. You can't be what you can't see. People see that and they want to get involved, whether that's the, the 10-year-old kid who picks up football for the first time or a 50-year-old who heads down to a, an A-League women's game for the very first time. Obviously, in the kind of shorter term, one way that we're going to get more people involved is through broadcasting. So I'm interested now that there will be a longer season, there will be more games. What's the APL kind of expecting of Channel 10? Will there be, well, obviously there's going to be increased coverage, all the games will be broadcast and stuff, but will there be even more opportunities for people to engage with the A-League women specifically? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's there's the partnership with 10 and Paramount, which is important, but I think it's what we do ourselves through our own channels and through Keep Up and Keep Up Studios, which is going to be really important. You know, we you know, we will be going around to all the clubs before the season starts to talk about access. You know, at the end of the day, having transparency and having cameras coming into places that make people uncomfortable is what, what our fans want to see. They want to get in and, and, and really experience the great stories that exist in the sport, both male and female. 
Um, and bringing those to life um, is, is really where you're going to engage more, more fans. And I think when I go go back to thinking about my my, my daughters and what they snack on and in terms of their content, you know, they're, they're, the chances of them watching 90 minutes of football, they both play football, but having them watch 90 minutes of football is a challenge. But having them watch a, a 20-minute behind-the-scenes clip, show a five-minute clip, two-minute clip, a 20-second bite, you've, you've got to serve it all up and then let them choose their journey. And and that, that, that's why I think that's probably more responsibility of on us than it is on, on Channel 10. But I do believe, you know, we also need to think differently about how we bring it to life in the network because, you know, 10 have got a lot of great shows that are appealing to females that, that we're currently not thinking about because we're putting players on the project or on Studio 10 or whatever it might be. What are the other shows that they've got that, that actually have big cohorts of female viewers that also love football and inserting ourselves into, into those, those, um, those shows? Like Archie, you know, or MasterChef, as an example, you know, are there, there female players that we can insert into other um, programming that will just make that connection and, and the visibility to the game uh, greater? Bachelorette. Bachelorette. Who, who, who would you put on? Who would you put on Bachelorette? Oh, most fun to that's, watch. That's a good question. Let me think on it. I'll get back. Lisa Devanna would be unstoppable. <laughs> that would be must-watch television. Absolutely must-watch. Ratings would go through the roof. Through the roof. Um, I'm curious, Danny, so in terms of, uh, I suppose, finding new ways in which to engage with fans, we've got sort of the digital, the content, the broadcasting aspect, but I'm curious whether uh, in light of the success of the A-League All-Stars game against Barcelona and other sort of sugar hit events, does the APL have similar plans in the women's space in terms of hosting those big games against visiting opposition um, and also in terms of perhaps this uh, famed marquee list that supposedly is going around. Are we going to see some big women's names on that list as well? Well, two, two parts of the questions and the answer is yes and yes. You know, I think, you know, again, one of the strengths of our code being a, an international one is that we have the ability to leverage off globally recognisable brands. And, you know, you saw that with the Barcelona game this year. It was, it was a fantastic event that we had and we, we certainly are already working on how we, we land something similar for the females. Um, so watch this space there. But on the, the marquee stuff as well, yeah, look, it's certainly on our radar because, you know, just by nature of the investment that we're making, we also need to think about the product on the pitch and how do we how do we find those stories? And, and they come through the existing domestic players. But if you think back over the years, some of the most compelling stories have come from, you know, the American um, ingestion of players. You know, I think back to the year when CB Perth in that grand final you know, and I think it was a 5-1 game, some fantastic goals, but that Sydney team had five, you know, world-class American players in it, um, complemented by five or six starting Matildas. It was a, a team that, you know, if you if you weren't a football fan, you, you didn't want to go and watch that team play, then you weren't a proper fan. So I think being able to build, um, you know, uh, stories around those international players coming into the competition, COVID has not allowed us to do that the last couple of seasons. Um, but I think it's certainly part of the thinking. And equally, having players come up this upcoming season who are going to want to get used to playing in Australia. The World Cup, there are a bunch of nations that are be coming to Australia in June of July of next year to get ready to play here. 
way to, to land your players playing in the A-League women in the lead up to that, that competition. So those conversations are already being had, but um, it's certainly an opportunity that we don't want to let slip. Forgive me if this is in the strap plan because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm kind of interested in um, with the clubs working together, is there kind of KPIs that you have for each club? So, for example, in terms of like fan engagement, um, on social media, are there expectations around digital content coming from clubs themselves or stuff like um, memberships? Yeah. Um, I, I'm very intrigued in terms of the, the future of A-League women-specific memberships and that kind of thing, but there was a lot of variation last season in what each club was doing with that. Um, so I guess, yeah, and balancing the autonomy of clubs to be able to create their own space and brand versus managing the the interests of the APL as a whole. Yeah, it's a really good point. And we're in the process of working through a structural sort of change where we create a, a league um, club business operations department where we're essentially leveraging best practice. Because if you think across the board, you've got 12 clubs, you've got a lot of knowledge amongst those 12 or 13 clubs, I should say, and, and how you go and take the best elements of each of those clubs and blueprint them to assist the others. If you think back to, you know, historically, there was always this challenge that we were competitors. You know, we, 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 were, we had the FA as our, our governor and we had 11 or 12 other clubs that we competed against. So no one shared best practice. The beauty of the change, the unbundling, is that the FA are our partner and the other clubs are all in business together. So it's, it's our collective interest that they all do a better job. You know, the NBA set up a team, what they called Teambo back in the day, and that was because they had a big disparity between, say, the, the haves and the have-nots. The, you know, the LA Lakers, the New York Knicks were doing things great, but the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Dallas Mavericks, probably had a quarter of the resources at their disposal and were trying to, trying to make it all up in their own world. Whereas if you go to take a blueprint out of the, the clubs that were doing things really well, it becomes a bit of a tide rises all boats type of a scenario. And that's something that we're really mindful of. And, and, and I see you know, my responsibility as a CEO and our exec team here to actually go and, and do that work to ensure that we can blueprint best practice and, and make sure we help the clubs execute on it. Um, we're doing that with our investment in the digital infrastructure because that's a shared, a shared um, infrastructure. The data infrastructure we're building is a shared infrastructure. Um, so then having them um, utilize that and, and deliver for our fans is um yeah is 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 certainly a priority for us moving into the next season. I was going to do just one final question, which was basically to say you've given fans a, a two year roadmap, which I think a lot of people really enjoy knowing where it's going. So, yeah. what else would you say to fans who are listening to this podcast about where you guys are taking the A League Women's and why we should all be on board for the ride? Yeah, I, I think the obvious reason is that we, we understand the importance of, of women's football in this country and the importance of us being competitive at a national team level and taking advantage of, of the Women's World Cup. But first and foremost, we just want female football fans to come and support the best football competition in the country. And, you know, I think connecting that, that grassroots wave of interest and participation, we, we want those young players to want to come their heroes on weekends um, and create a, an atmosphere that is unique to, to women's football or to football in Australia. And it's okay to be different. It's okay for us to think about it differently, deliver it differently. Um, and, and I think in a way it's almost a call to arms for female footballers to come out and support it and actually put their own spin on it and, and, and give us the ideas. Tell us, tell us what you want. I think we're, you know, our job is to, to serve the fan and fan, all fans, 
lot of different things. So understanding what makes a female football fan tick is something that we we really need to get better at. And I think if we can do that together, um, yeah, this thing's going to be a, a huge success. Danny, we can't thank you enough for your time today. We really do appreciate it. Pleasure, guys. Thank you. It's a huge thanks once again to Danny Townsend and for all of you for tuning in. Remember, you can read all of the bits and bobs about this announcement over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google, all the usual places to get podcasts. If you've liked this episode or any that we've done recently, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. If you want to have a chat to us about this announcement, even if it's simply just a keyboard mash, we are at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, we'll be back for a little Portugal review. So see you then.